And we're back with another episode of the Anarchist Experience, episode 236, aka season three, episode 56, uh, coming at you this week. As always, I'm your host, Mr. Rich E. Rich, along with MC and returning special guest, <laughs> Ken Schooling. Love, love that you're back, Ken. It was a surprise. Uh, when I heard your voice, uh, but uh, always a pleasure. Glad to have you. Uh, even though we have Ken, we still have phone lines available for you guys to call in. Uh, 303-335-9527 or 303-835-1301. That's 303-335-9527 or 303-835-1301. Uh, so you guys are still operating out of Hawaii. I'm here in New Hampshire. Fill me in, boys. What's going on over there? Um, I think we talked a little bit about, uh, QE again. So the Federal Reserve is, uh, printing money. Uh, the first thing they started with was, uh, I think they're up to like $700 billion now. Jesus. Uh, ba- bailing, bailing out the short-term lending market. Uh, so that's be- when banks lend to each other, uh, for short terms. Um, oh, and now- we briefly talked about this a few weeks ago on the yeah, show, didn't we? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, it's I getting keep bringing worse. it up. Uh, well, I, I I think the seven hundred billion is maybe going to be enough for that. I don't really know. Uh, but so now they're, I guess, going into other things too. And and what's funny is they're saying, well, what we're doing is not QE, uh, even though that's what it is. And of course, QE is basically printing money, uh, sure. which they say it's not that either. So so it's not printing money, and now they can't use the term QE anymore because people have caught on. So now it's, it's It's short term lending. We're doing something that's, that looks like QE, but it's not QE. uh, And, and that's going to solve our problems again. Short term lending over uh, short term lending, overnight lending, just to basically clear the books for the bank so that they're not in violation of whatever rules and regulations that they fall under. And notice this comes just at the time of the election in election year coming up, uh, it is such a chronic thing. They say that the Federal Reserve is an independent agency, but it isn't at all. You know, the agreement between the appointees and the appointers is that uh, you'll help me out at election time. And Jerome Powell got a lot of flack from uh, Donald Trump for for not having easy money policy uh, all throughout the last year. Is there anybody on Trump's good side at this point, though? Well, probably not. (laughs) But now that uh, the election is coming on full and and Trump is facing other kinds of flack, uh, the Federal Reserve is going to make sure there's not is going to do its best to try and make sure there's no recession um, or downturns by by just pumping the money in, and that helps the incumbent tremendously. So it's chronic throughout the history of the Federal Reserve Board. And it's also uh, good timing for the, the peak of the market. I mean, a lot, a lot of things are at record prices now. I think Apple just hit a new record high. Um, it's, if, if it, if it isn't obvious, I'll just say it like the, the market is inflated and <laughs> there's, it's, 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 there's no real uh, easy escape from, from what's, what's coming. Um, because every time the bubble gets, pumped up uh eventually it has to come back down again so and when you say the market are you specifically referring to like the stock market the you know just well the housing market the education or it's it's everything right now 
So okay. the, the last the last time uh, we had market problems, it, it was more focused in certain areas. But now those things have been uh, expanded to you know everything. So uh, so now there's even more pressure to keep printing money to prop it up uh, even higher, and uh, and it's 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 strangely quiet compared to 2007 2008 um so there was there was a lot more predictions of a of a crash i think at least from the people that i listened to but um it it seems like nobody wants to admit that uh that the markets are are having like really really bad problems um even though <laughs> And I and I guess that's that's typical, right? The uh, prices of everything are up. Every, uh, a lot of people are happy about it, and they don't want to rock that boat. So, well, I'll, I'll jump back. Go ahead. I might reflect on the nineteen or the two thousand and one recession that occurred. The Economist magazine reported that in uh, at, at the beginning of the year of that recession, ninety five percent of economists said we would not have a recession, and even in September of that year. The majority of economists said we will not have a recession, even though later they found that they had already been in a recession by six months and didn't even see it. So for all we know, we may be in a recession already. It's just that the data comes in later and the economists are, you know, uh, historians pointed backwards. They just don't see ahead. Because they're not taking responsibility for it. They They don't have to be good at it. They can be just good at following the herd. Okay, I'm, let me jump in real quick because maybe maybe I've been misinformed, uh, but I always considered the the terms uh, recession and depression to be a backwards looking phenomenon, right? Because you you don't have current day data, and by definition, right, the the recession is two consecutive quarters of negative growth. Right? Are we all familiar with it? Okay, so. You may be in a recession, but there's no way to know you're in a recession because the data isn't available yet. You have to wait until after, you you know, you have to wait until two quarters have passed and then look back upon the time that you just uh, came out of and said like, no, yep, that was a recession. Uh, And same for depression, which again, forgive me if if I'm incorrect here, but is two consecutive years of negative growth. Well, so you have to look back, you have to wait until you have data going two years and if it's negative, negative, negative for all the for you know eight consecutive quarters, uh, then you go, yep, that was a depression. But there's no way to say with any degree of certainty that we are in a depression now, because uh, even if you even if we were in a depression the two previous years, right, we could be on the uh, the the upward swing out of it now. Well, having confirmed a recession is is correct. It's only something that's happening now, and the data didn't come in until later, but. Economists are relying on what they call leading economic indicators, uh, indications that something is coming yet ahead. Like, for example, um, housing permits issued would be a leading indicator as to how many houses are going to be built. And, okay. you know, the economists have a, about 11 of these for the nation where they, they look at to try and, and guess what's going on in the future. Now, private businesses do this, too, forecasting all the time. Right. They have to because they're trying to anticipate consumer demand and what prices and costs are going to be and tariffs and all the rest. And 
the thing is about a private company, if they have a good forecaster, they guess the market right and they make profits. If they have a really bad forecaster, they fire them. <laughs> In the government, it never happens that way. The government forecasters are always the same. They could be just horribly bad, but there's never any consequence to them of, of being wrong. So, I mean, there is a, a talent to being able to forecast the economy, good or bad. And we have uh, financial analysts and, and uh, uh who are always trying to do that and they're they're trying to compete with each other as to who has the best uh, forecasts and uh, but that never happens in the government because the federal reserve is a is a sort of a um an agency immune to any kind of consequence to their uh to their forecasts okay well, let, let me jump again back in uh, real quick now that we we circled back to the federal reserve um uh, because again, the, this this is the way people describe it to me, right? The Federal Reserve uh, was created to prevent bank collapse, uh, and it is to be the lender of last resort, right? That's 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 those phrase phrase that phraseology is out there. So when you have banks that require a last minute bailout, some last minute quantitative easing, a last minute in, injection of funding or whatever term you want to use, uh, so that they remain in compliance and, and don't have uh, difficulties, right? They, they're able to stay in business and operate. Isn't that not the role of the Federal Reserve to provide that short-term bailout uh, so that we don't see the, the bank runs and the bank collapses um, and, and, and that type of damage that we have seen in the past? Is the Federal Reserve not a good thing by doing that because that's what it was designed to do? Well, look at what's fundamental behind that. Why is there a bank run? It's, uh, in the first place, it's because of fraction reserve banking and demand deposits where people are told your money is there, we're just holding it and safekeeping it, but then it's not there. They've loaned it out so that when somebody goes back to get their money and it's not there, then they say, oh, well, that's, they, they blame that on the herd, on the, on the, on the depositor for having been scared about his deposits. But actually, the blame should have been on the banks. For centuries, banks have gotten governments to excuse them from full responsibility and full liability for their depositors' accounts. Now, with time deposits, it's expected that the depositor puts the money in there and he can't, can't get it back because it is being loaned out. But demand deposits, he does expect to be back. It's a fraud to tell him you can have it but you can't because we've already loaned it out to somebody else. Yeah, and so and then then they get the, the short-term loan. They get the short-term loan for the Federal Reserve, uh, pay the pay the demand deposit out, and then pay back the Federal Reserve you know, with plus whatever interest that they're requiring at a later time, right? Like isn't isn't that that's the whole lender of last resort? No. Yeah, but it, it, if banks were not behaving in a fraudulent manner they wouldn't need this lender of last resort. They would be fully accountable for their own behavior. And they could make arrangements with each other to insure each other and guarantee each other as they did with the Suffolk Bank in the early American history in the early uh, 1900s. The Suffolk Bank provided all the functions of a central bank, uh, guaranteeing each other's bank's uh, uh, creditworthiness and uh, deposits and uh, providing clearance uh, processes. They were doing all of that but it was purely a private thing, and they had to be uh, very careful in how they managed it. But every time the government intervenes because they want a massive infusion of money, uh, for usually for fighting wars or for massive uh, infrastructure projects like uh, 
you know, building uh, you know, special uh, transcontinental railroads and things like that. Whenever the government wants to get involved and they, they don't want to tax people to pay for these things, they would much rather get money printed to pay for this stuff. And that's what, they, what they're doing with the war. And, uh, and it, it's what makes wars possible. The fact that governments don't have to go to their people and actually tax them for the, uh, for the expensive wars when people don't feel a personal threat. And that allows governments to be very aggressive and very tyrannical and very uh, wasteful in their expenditures because they don't have to ask the people to pay for it directly. They pay for it indirectly by just printing up lots of money. And then the prices go up and people wonder why their paycheck doesn't go as far. Precisely. Okay. MC? Um, yeah. Do we have uh, some more things to talk about? We, we were talking about uh, education system, maybe. It's always oh. a fun topic for me. <laughs> We're going to put Ken on the spot now. <laughs> if, if you want to. It's, I mean, it's, it, you know, everything's uh, totally up for grabs, I guess. Uh, or if, uh, we can get into headlines if you want also. Dealer's, dealer's choice. You tell me. I've got, I've got six headlines that we can get into if you want to talk about education. Um, you know, op- open up the table and, and we can talk. What, uh, yeah, explain what you mean by education, uh, the education system, uh, government monopolies, uh, uh, tax funding, uh, or even the fact that people think that education all comes through schools. Hmm. Well, I I think for me, my issue is is how to how to get through to people, um, and methods of uh, of accomplishing that. So, um, so this is a discussion that happens off air quite a bit. And, and we, we have this discussion primarily because you uh, can are our inroads toward the education system. As, as a professor of economics uh, at a well-known university um, in Hawaii, it's, it's our access to the, the college mind, right? And unfortunately, college, you haven't gotten them early enough to really indoctrinate the ideas of liberty uh, into these people, right? So you have to... You have to go a little bit above and beyond, and and I'm going to say be a little insidious with how you plant the ideas of freedom and liberty into their heads, um, because that's what they're getting from their other professors. And in the in the previous discussions off air, there seems to be a level of moderation to your approach uh, that MC has disagreed with, and I myself have disagreed with to an extent. I, I, I've honestly never sat in your class. Um, but I have taken econ classes, and so I, I can reflect a little bit upon what I remember from being in college. Uh, but the the approach that I guess it's whether or not the approach that you take um, is effective in in planting these ideas of freedom and liberty, and can it be more effective by taking another approach? Is that is that a fair is that a fair situation, MC Ken? I think I I know what you're getting at in terms of how to um, raise things in the classroom. Um, keep in mind the classroom is very unnatural circumstance. It's a it's a dictatorship. You know, there's an author autocratic uh, ruler in the classroom who has all the power to hand out grades and and uh, make judgments. And presumably the students are there um, voluntarily if it's uh, higher education, involuntarily if it's lower education. But they're in the classroom voluntarily because they 
they feel that there's probably some employment benefit to them later on. Somebody will hire them if they've got this degree, and uh, they have a better chance at a better career if, it's, uh, if they do well. Is that still um, the expectation? I feel like we're turning a corner on that aspect of it. How do you mean uh, that that people don't think of a college education then as as uh, a pathway to a good job? Uh, that's, yeah, that's probably true. I, I mean, you look at great examples of uh, you know Bill Gates and Steve Jobs, entrepreneurs who made fortunes and great success, um, you know, by dropping out of the education system. Well, and more so that the debt that uh, student loans carry that most be, like the vast majority of of college graduates carry. Uh, an extraordinarily large debt burden upon graduation. And I think what we're seeing, at least um, in the political sphere, is a recognition of this and then the wrong solution applied, right? Uh, But it's a recognition that, oh my God, I've got this four-year degree that's supposed to get me this fantastic job, um, yet I'm saddled with six figures of debt and a low-paying introductory position at, you know, your local uh, burger shop, coffee shop, art house, whatever it happens to be. And so I think that, uh, hopefully that recognition is, is coming to a point where, uh, students entering college, like the, the, the high school graduates are able to recognize what their peers their, you know, the, the, their immediate peers have been going through, um, and may choose, may opt out of the college experience, um, in favor of something that won't leave them with that much debt on the other end. I don't know if that's the case, but I feel, I feel at least we're at the recognition process where everyone goes that student debt crisis is out of control. Um, and what do we do about it is up in the air, right? The, the politicians are debating on solutions on that, uh, wrongly, I believe. Um, but at least there, there's an acknowledgement that something is wrong in that sphere. Um, if, if, you know, if, Multi, uh, the multitude of graduates coming out of college are going like, well, that was a bad idea. Maybe, maybe I shouldn't have oh, done that. Absolutely. And I think it's driven by, you know, for example, the, the socialist campaigning for office these days are saying, well, education should be free for all. Well, actually, it was already handed uh, this kind of solution years ago by the previous politicians. They just didn't call it free for all. It is by handing them these, these enormous government-guaranteed loans and then saying, well, you can pay it back later. And then we are saying, well, the people who benefit by it will then eventually pay eventually pay it off. But um, they, they, they lowered the, the, the full cost to the actual individual student so that a lot of students take out these loans and not really serious about the studies. They're just... Um, expecting that, well, way off later, it'll it'll pay off, and that's at least problem. that's what they're being told. I think they're being manipulated to think that. Yeah, yeah, and by their families, and by friends, and by schools, and everything else that urge them to do that. Yeah, I mean it's a status thing, but a lot of them are. I I find a lot of times students are sitting in class and not motivated to do any C or operation. They're they're just putting in time. In fact, it's almost a feeling that if your body is there, you should. You deserve a grade. Might be an F. uh, (laughs) You do deserve one. (laughs) Well, but I think with grade inflation throughout universities, uh, I mean, I fail students, but I I think that there are a lot of teachers, professors that find every rationalization for just passing them along anyway. I don't, I don't, in fact, I I see students 
walk across the stage and they failed my class and I'm, I'm puzzled. How is it that this person who barely attended and, and uh, showed any effort or, or any genius, how is it they're getting this degree? I think a lot of them are graduating with just uh, inflated grades. And I think that's because they don't have to prove any worth to the lender. Uh, suppose there was no government guarantee for loans. And someone said, well, I want to I want a loan for my school. Well, you'd really have to prove, like a, a business has to prove to the bank, um, with all the documentation and all the experience, all the past record, that you're worthy of the loan. But a, a student doesn't have to do that at all, because the government stands as the guarantor behind all the loans. So the loans are given to people who aren't uh, creditworthy. Now, the banks took a lot of flack for giving home mortgages to people who had no business getting a home mortgage. But the government does that all the time with uh, student loans, guaranteeing student loans. And that, as a matter of fact, that's why the, the banks could give out these uh, housing loans as well, because the government always stands as the guarantor. So you have what we call moral uh, hazard in economics, where a lot of reckless behavior occurs because the gains are private, and the costs, the losses, are all socialized to the whole of society through the political system. Would the, would the college market be able to take that hit, though, if we went to that direction? Because, again, I'm thinking back to my experience. Uh, I was 17 when I started college, so a little bit earlier than most people, but not as early as the, the really elites. Uh, I, got, I got some loans, right, that have been taken care of. Uh, I don't think... Looking, if if I was in the position of the bank, looking back upon my younger self and the vast majority of of students graduating from high school, uh, there's not a lot that I think I can point to and say, oh yeah, this person is definitely credit worthy, right? For any any type of loan, any type of substantial loan, uh, but any any type of small loan, nonetheless. Right. It's partially, you know, now because of the the infantilization of young adults. Right. Where, you know, they 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 start everything later. So how do you move uh, a high school student at the age of 18 into college? Right. Who's not who's not even, you know, not even worthy of like a thousand dollar credit limit uh, on a credit card, let alone a hundred thousand dollar student loan currently, uh, you know, roughly. Um, how do you move them in into that system, or does the entire system just collapse overnight because no one's giving no one's giving eighteen year olds uh, enormous loans to to get an education? I think the responsibility of the loan the the young people wouldn't qualify at all. Who, right. People who would qualify would be the parents. The parents okay. would say, "Well, I want a loan to send my uh, kid to school," and then the lender, the bank, would say, "Well, then you're on the hook for this." Not your, not the student who's a high school kid with C grades and and uh, lackluster performance, and therefore by involving the parents, you're much more likely to get a better performance from the student. You know, because the parent will say to the student, "Okay, I'm gonna, I'm getting a loan to see to it that you can go to college, but you've got to be performing. We're we're watching over you every minute to see that you uh, are gonna be worthy of this loan because the parents are on the hook." Okay. And right now, the parents aren't on the hook. The government is. So the parents could care less. Or, or Well, and ev- eventually, the, 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 the signer of the loan is on the hook because the government doesn't absolve those loans at all. Like, student loans get carried with you, you know, ad infinitum until you die. 
Yeah, well, okay, down to fundamentals. The government shouldn't be in the business of making these loans at all. And on top of that, the government shouldn't be in the business of providing competing education. That's, that's you know, the biggest competition for private schools is the government schools. The fact that um, any student can go to a government school at little or no cost. And so a private school that's really competing on quality education um, has a huge disadvantage right there. They lose most of the market just, just because of price. I mean, imagine if you sold hamburgers that way. You know, uh, you know McDonald's would have a tough time, even as great as, uh, as they are at producing hamburgers now. You put right across the street from them uh, a huge hamburger outlet that offers it for free. Um, you know, not too many people are going to even go to McDonald's, but that's what they offer with, uh, with the education. So I have a, a friend here uh, in state who's looking to put his currently homeschooled child into a private school. And he told me that one of the schools he was looking at, uh, the tuition for one year for like a, you know, a, a elementary school kid was over $60,000 for one year i went god damn i i'm so far out of this loop i could not imagine elementary school being that much for a year let alone like how many years you have to like pay that and and then the college you know the high school and the college fees uh, tuitions on top of that you know like where did where did that become so disjointed with i what i would say like the reality and knowing that, right, and how expensive private schools are getting, doesn't that uh, entice, incentivize, force even, uh, you know, what, depending on your use of that term, people into the public school system? Uh, because the alternative is so fundamentally more expensive um, and they're getting taxed for the public school system anyway that they just, you, you have to. Right. Who can afford government's like who can afford government school and a sixty thousand dollar a year uh, elementary school tuition? Well, I would say without the government providing the free education to the vast bulk of the students, there wouldn't be just a few private schools uh, going after the elite who can opt out. There would be hundreds of alternative schools of all different uh, qualities and and uh, prices, just as like you have everything else in the marketplace. I um, mean, you could say, well, um, suppose the government provided a free cafeteria and everybody could get all their food, whatever they wanted. Well, according to the government menu, uh, at the at the political cafeteria. Um, well, probably the only restaurants that would be surviving would be a, a few very high-priced uh, restaurants, really elite restaurants that you could go to, and you'd say, well, then how could anybody ever compete with, um, uh, if we did that in the restaurant business, uh, where the government offered free or nearly free food for everybody, then the vast bulk of the, of the consumers would go to where it's per perfectly free, and the few people who would be able to offer the... Um, alternative would be a few exclusive restaurants but that's not the way it is when you don't have government providing the food for everybody yeah. you have a variety of different kinds of food at different prices and different kinds of i mean think of what it is different kinds of food is if it's food for the mind or food for the stomach you have those tremendous varieties out in the marketplace that would be offered by every 
one who wanted to set up a school and provide a, a, an alternative source. It could be a variety of prices. Um, and, and that would be a marketplace in education, a true marketplace. And I think that a marketplace in education involves also allowing kids to opt out of schools for the place of learning. A lot of students learn the way that adults learn. They are motivated by rewards and incentives of money and pay, not just paper stars and letter grades. I mean, what, what parent would say, well, I'll go to work just for papers and letter grades. And I uh, gold stars too. Don't forget the gold stars. <laughs> gold stars. I know how absurd that is. It, Human beings, young people, learn the best the same way as their elders, by watching their elders, by joining them. This was the history of human um, development, uh, that young people worked with their elders and learned from them, and, and they participated in the marketplace. They got rewarded um, for, their, for their efforts and that sort of thing. They were allowed um, to start lemonade stands in their yard to exactly. learn. About, yeah. And there's all kinds of motives there that don't exist in the classroom where you're just sitting paying attention to an authority figure for 12 years of your life um, just being told what to do and following orders. Uh, that's, that's the way to get a mind-numbing uh, um, uh, automaton rather than a truly creative, independent, independent and courageous individual. So part of our conversation uh, last weekend, I don't know if you, if you listened to the episode, if not, cool. Um, we got into the, I, get, I want to say the conspiracy behind the purpose for government indoctrination. Um, and that is to create the mindless automatons, uh, the tax slaves, you know, just, uh, it, it was, you know, your enslavement by the organized crime that runs the government sort of thing. Um, one of the points that I made last week was, okay, fine, you win, right? I'm not, I won't dispute that point. How do we use that to advance the cause of liberty, right? At, at this stage in the game, for me, I don't really care uh, if the vast majority of people want freedom, want liberty, uh, are able to provide it uh, for, for me or for themselves. So if I can take advantage of that situation and indoctrinate them into the ideas of freedom and liberty, right, they can go on being a happy quote unquote free slave um, but because their ideas aren't detrimental to the, to the free society as a whole uh, those of us that want to be free and have liberty can do so without fear of reprisal from from the the unwashed unwashed masses uh, and and so if we could if we had like liberty oriented indoctrination like I'm cool with that at this point Right, because the truly free thinkers will break free. They'll understand the ideas, and they'll be free thinkers anyway. And those that don't and are indoctrinated into that cause um, won't be a bother to us. Right, like we can live with them. Um, so you in the college classroom, right, have a have an opportunity, albeit way too late in the game, for true indoctrination. Uh, but you you can plant seeds uh, early on in the minds of college students and and young adults that may blossom uh, into, into freedom, freedom ideas and liberty thinking uh, going forward. And I think that might be the point that MC wanted to touch on was the, effective, the most effective way to, to plant those ideas so they blossom uh, into freedom lovers and away from the, the Marxist thinking, the socialist thinking that they're going to get from a lot of their other college professors. Yeah, and, I, and I'm, I'm not 
entirely sure that it's really what people are taught that makes a difference. It, it might just be that there's a certain amount of uh, control freaks. I don't know if it's genetics or how they're raised or maybe they're beat when they're kids or w whatever it is. Um, but uh, it just doesn't resonate. You know, freedom and liberty doesn't resonate with some people, uh, maybe even with the majority of people. So, so I'm not, I'm not convinced that it's something that is an educational issue. It, it, it I think it might just be, a, you know, a personal choice. Um, and, uh, yeah, so there, there's a couple, I guess a couple different ways of looking at it, but, um, I think, uh, you know, all, what I what I came up with for me is that the only thing I owe people is basically the philosophy of liberty, and after that, I I don't owe them you know anything else. So, yeah, some would say that you owe, all I owe you is non-aggression, right? That's part of the axiom. I don't I don't owe you anything more but to leave you alone unless there's some other agreement that we come to. I think there's a natural impulse of people to appreciate that. Um, for example, I've been a lot of times to countries that taught Marxist economics. Marxism throughout the it's pervasive from grade one to grade 12 um, and then through university as well and the students they sit there and they nod and that sort of thing but they don't believe it you know they've been um, and so because there's a there's a sort of a rebellious spirit in human beings which um, isn't everywhere but you can see it in our in our clothing and our in our music it's in Hong our, Kong right now though it's what it's in Hong Kong right now Exactly, and and it's very visible there. It's not so visible. Uh, it's more subtle in all of our classrooms. I think that's why I would have to be uh, careful in the way I present ideas of liberty, because I don't want to spark that rebellious spirit that that turns someone. Uh, you know, they they people will rebel against what they're being, what's being pushed on them. That's why. Uh, in, in Is that true though? Um, because a lot of the, a lot of the graduates, right. Are, that are getting the Marxist philosophy, the socialist philosophy pushed on them are coming out, begging for free stuff, wanting the politicians to take over saying socialism is great. Socialism, this socialism, that we need more socialism. There, not a lot of them are rebelling against, uh, against what they've been taught in college. I'm just that's saying true. that that's true. Um, but I'd like to think that the opinion leaders, uh, that, yeah, well, there, there is no single uh, group. There are some opinion leaders who re resist all that, but they're not necessarily leaders of the crowd. They're, they're independent minds. Yeah. Is that yeah, part I of the problem right. with liberty in general? Is that there's no one? There's no one. The people that follow the philosophy don't want to don't want to push that on anybody else, and therefore okay. don't take control. Don't take leadership over. You know, to to actually convince other people well that's that's the whole uh government and liberty uh divide um uh, there's there's not much incentive for somebody for a libertarian to uh get into government except to you know force people not to force them which is uh maybe a defensive tactic right <laughs> so. yeah well and and there are some people even here in new hampshire there's a big political movement here. Uh, you know, the, the Free State Project uh, it in itself is a political movement of which the anarchists and the voluntarists represent a a percentage of, right? They're, sure. you know, so and, we're and not all like... I think it's valid. I think it's, uh, 
you know, a worthy experiment to, to try, uh, to, to do it politically. Um, as I don't see, uh, too many other ways, um, you can opt out, uh, but that doesn't mean that you're not going to get pulled over and, and arrested for not having a, uh, you know, a permission slip, a driver's license. You're right. It's a daily fear of mine. Right. Or a right. daily concern. I don't think I've, I don't think I think about it too much while I'm on the road, but it's a possibility every time I leave the house today could be the way, day as a tax too. it's a tax on your peace of mind and, um, and your behavior, you behave differently than, than you would otherwise just knowing that they, um, could crunch at any time. So that is true. I think I'm a better driver without a license than I am with one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of times when people have much more apprehension, they tend to be a lot more cautious and careful. Yeah. Yep. I I used to be the left lane driver, get the fuck out of my way. I'm coming through, and now I'm cruising in the right lane, just somewhere near the speed limit. But you know, I'm getting I'm getting passed by everyone's mom and grandma. You know, going going the culturally accepted speed limit, uh, not the posted speed limit. Whereas you know, because of my situation, I, I go closer to the posted speed limit rather than what everyone else is doing uh, for that very reason, right? My, my behavior is absolutely modified uh, to an extent, um, you know, by doing so. And what, you know, what, what's the alternative though? Like uh, acquiesce to their demands, go and pay their fines, go and get their permission slip for what? Well, for the you, you could run for office and then ban uh, driver's licenses. Yeah. <laughs> hey, what, what fun that would be. Uh, you know, the governor of, what is it, New Hampshire? or is, is, he's, Who's the guy, Mr. Nobody, running for? Oh, yeah. He's now running for governor. That was, uh, I don't know if you were pri- privy to that information, uh, MC. It just recently came oh. out. Weld? Uh, no. We've got, we've oh. got a guy uh, in Keene, New Hampshire, that legally changed his name to Nobody. Uh, and recently ran for mayor of Keene, New Hampshire. So nobody was on the ballot in Keene, New Hampshire. Uh, that primary was a couple of days ago. Um, and in his words, uh, the people have spoken and they want him to run for governor instead. Uh, between you and me, meaning he lost the primary. He's not going to be mayor <laughs> of Keene, New Hampshire. <laughs> but is parlaying that into a run for governor. <laughs> he was <So>. spoken. <laughs> right. It was, it was the be- I, he, was on, he was interviewed by a radio show in Boston yesterday afternoon. Um, and that was, that was the way he phrased it when they said, like, oh, so you're running for, uh, for mayor. He's like, well, that primary was a few days ago. The people have spoken. They want me to run for governor. So, he's, like I said, he's parlaying that to a run for governor. So uh, – as a Republican against the incumbent governor, so he will be, you know, so the, the, the Republicans, at least in that primary, will have the opportunity to vote for the current incumbent or to vote for nobody. Uh, and, it's, and it's a big campaign right now. But again, de- depending on who you talk to, right, I, w- I was under no delusion that he had any chance of victory at all, or it doesn't have any chance of victory at all as governor. Right. I don't I don't think that's the type of person he is. Um, and I don't think that's the type of campaign being run. Right. He does at this point in, in conversations with him. Right. He doesn't even know how to solicit donations. Right. Or what that what that would entail or implicate. Uh, so it's just it's it's a protest. It's a protest 
uh, campaign, and it's it's a it's an activist campaign, right? It's it's to put the idea out there uh, that nobody nobody knows how to run your life, and so he's you know, so vote for nobody, right? Nobody nobody should be doing these things. So now you have the opportunity to vote for nobody. But yes, so again, knowing that that it's it's an activist thing, it's a protest uh, campaign. I would I would be under no uh, any delusion, right? That I could run for office at any level uh, and be successful at any level in order to change the laws, the you know to to benefit me, right? It, it's a it's a it's a nice it's a nice theory to talk about to dream about when we're sitting around at the libertarian meetups around here. You know, there's a there's a lot of strategizing uh, going on. And personally, right, I do the show, the anarchist experience, not the libertarian experience, uh, because I don't want to vote, right? I don't want to. I don't want to participate in that system at all. Um, I, I'm more of the the uh, Larkin Rose mindset, um, where if you have to vote your way to freedom, probably not really getting freedom, right? Because it it, it, it it's implicit uh, in that arrangement that there is a master lording over you that is granting you the freedom. And as long as the master has the decision on whether or not you're free, right, then he can revoke that at any time and therefore still his decision and you're not really free. So that's, that's why I don't like participating in the political system. And I'm more of the outside the system, um, <coughs> excuse me, just do what I please, uh, maybe within moderation because it's safer, uh, but just do what I do as I please um, when going about my business. So you, you moved to New Hampshire. Um, what, what were the reasons? I mean, were, were there expectations that you'd have a, a friendlier, friendlier environment, just a friendlier crowd to, to mingle with or that, that, that there would be a chance of, of um, uh, restraining the state or just you like New Hampshire? Uh, well, I joined as part of the Free State Project, which is a movement of 20,000 liberty-minded individuals to New Hampshire with the purpose with, and with the goal of reducing the size of government so the maximum role is the protection of life, liberty, and property. Now, maximum role means there's a minimum role, so the project early on got a lot of anarchists and voluntarists to move uh, because the minimum role of government is to be abolished completely. Right. Like, mm-hmm. you know, if the, if the maximum is going to be protection of life, liberty and property, let's amp that up a little bit and just abolish it completely. Um, so it, it was a, it was attractive to me on that front. Um, and yes, uh, they, they, there's a video out there and a list of the 101 reasons to move to New Hampshire. And it includes like all the freedoms um, that y- you are not privy to uh, in Hawaii, or at least a lot of them. Right. So there's some overlap somewhere. Uh, the biggest example I have, Ken, uh, is when we moved, we went to a meetup uh, in Keene. And we were sitting at dinner, and M, uh, sometimes co-host M, uh, asked the question of the group, right? He was like, we were going to go for a walk in downtown Keene. And her question was, is it okay if I have my cell phone in my hand? <laughs> and, and the table looked at her like she was retarded. Right. And, and they were right to do so, because what they don't understand is that's illegal in Hawaii. Right. No carrying a fan phone in your hand because you could be texting and walking. And that's prohibited <laughs> by the state. Right. Doesn't happen here. Right. You do as you please. Right. I, I went to the grocery store this morning. Ken, uh, guess what? I put my bananas in. 
A plastic bag. Plastic fucking bag. Oh, no. And I didn't have to pay a dime for it. Right? Such a criminal. Such a criminal. I said, double bag it because I have to carry it quite a ways. And no one questioned it. No one said a word. No one looked at me funny. I didn't have to bring my own stuff with me. Uh, you know, when we first moved here, we started a collection of plastic bags. And I said, unnecessary. Right? We go shopping once a week. We will get more plastic bags. Just throw it away because that's what you do here. You just throw that shit away. And, and, and no one, there's no second guessing, no thinking twice about it. Right? Uh, you know, and so there's a whole list, right? The, the 101 reasons to move to New Hampshire. Um, it's also cheaper here. Um, you know, the cost of living is significantly less than in Hawaii, which was a bonus. Um, after a year, um, my pay for the work that I do is catching up to what I was getting paid uh, in Hawaii for similar work. So, you know, I mean, I, you get that, you, you show up, you start, you start new. Um, I didn't expect to get paid, the, you know, at or more than what I was getting back home because back home I had like years of uh, history with the same companies. So no problem there. Um, but the cost of living, so much less that I've got like a savings account now that has funds in it, right? I've, I've, we have <laughs> cryptocurrency that has funds in it. You know, we, we can, I have toys that I could not afford to have um, in Hawaii. It's ridiculous uh, how much better off the quality of life is here uh, compared to living there. So yeah. And, right, I don't know, how, our, our HASP, uh, HASP meetup groups in Hawaii was like, what, maybe eight or nine strong uh, on a good night, right. Of people who showed up to hang out with us, like the Liberty, the Liberty friendly people. That's a slow night here, right? I, I go to dinner with the, a similar group of people every, every Tuesday night of the week, we have a big meetup group. Sometimes there's 10, 15 of us there. Sometimes, holy crap, way too many people. And we're like, we're taking up too much room. Um, once a month, there's a new mover party to welcome the people that have just moved here. And oh my God, that pro that event probably has, you know, 30, 40 people, at any given time passing through. So yeah, the, and that's just in one city, the city that we're in, um, let alone all the, uh, ancillary events that go on for the, the neighboring towns and counties, right? So there's a meetup group in Keene, uh, Concord has their own thing. Uh, the coast has their own thing going on. I don't even go to most of those because it's just too much for me, right? Like too much socializing. I don't want to do it. Um, and it's not worth it. So, and, and for a, state um you know population probably about the size of hawaii right like we uh, we live in uh, manchester which is the biggest city population i think you know, hovers around hundred thousand person mark um with with you know dozens more liberty-minded individuals than all of the island of oahu so <laughs> if you want to be around uh liberty-minded individuals and who are at their own levels, right? Because again, there's political people, there's non-political people, there's people just doing their own thing. The agorist market, the crypto market, whatever you want, uh, there's someone here doing it. So if, if that's the goal, this is currently, as far as I can tell, the best place to be. And that's why. That I sounds very impressive. <laughs> Which is why I'm trying to get uh, MC to come up for a visit, you know, why the hell not? Uh, and why I'm trying to get you guys booked at some sort of speaking event that they put on, Ken. Uh, so you can come take a look at it, see what's going on. Um, I'm not going to throw you into this category, but one of my biggest uh, complaints, I guess, is that they have all these speakers from around the country, from around the globe, come to these events to tell us how important liberty is, right? But none of them 
are making the move as part of the Free State Project, right? They have their their own little shop set up wherever they happen to be. Uh, some as close as Massachusetts, right? It's like, dude, you're in Massachusetts now. You can cross the border, right? And just be part of the Free State Project. And because of your name in the Liberty community, right, could be a value to attract more people, right? Uh, but if you're sitting at the Mises Institute in freaking Alabama, for whatever reason, right, talking about Austrian economics, talking about how great liberty is, coming to the events and speaking to us about it, and then moseying back off to Auburn, right? Uh, not Why? Right? What's, 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 the, what's the disconnect there, as far as I'm concerned? So I, I, I would rather have some of the bigger names move here and do their do the same activism that they're doing, but have their home base be here, right? That would be that would be preferable for me. Um, but many before have tried unsuccessfully, and I'm not you know I'm not the messiah here to to make that happen. Um, but they for whatever reason have not been convinced that this is the place to be for liberty yet, even though they come to the events and talk about it. I'm wondering if age is their factor. Do older people just get sort of, sort of settled into where they are, and younger people are more likely to move? Uh, that's possible. Uh, the, the, the biggest, uh, acquisition we got was, uh, Nick Sarwark, uh, chairman of the, like the libertarian party, the national chair, right. um, picked up his whole life from Arizona and moved. And that was the big one recently, right? It was like, Oh my God. Um, he, I don't, he I don't, they moved to, to New Hampshire. He lives in Manchester now, man. Fantastic. I, I, I assisted uh, him in finding a storage place for a spot because that's what I do uh, for my regular job. So his storage place, uh, he has his, you know, Arizona belongings stored at the company that I work for. But so, yeah, but he's here now. He's in. He comes out to the events, um, you know, occasionally. I, I don't think he's been to all of them, but I've seen him at the new mover party. I've seen him at uh, the Tuesday night dinner. I don't know what else he does, you know, in his, in his free time or uh, goes to any of the other events, but he made the move. So gave up, you know, the, the personal business to do it, brought the entire family, just whoop, we're doing it. Um, young people come in. I think that was a problem uh, before was a lot of uh, younger uh, people were coming in and burning out too quickly with the activism. And so they were they were they were come and goers. Um, but I've also moved in older folks, right? Like, you know, Hey, we're retired. We get, we're settled. Uh, we're just here for the activism. We're, you know, we're here to participate. Um, we're looking for some sort of part-time work because you still got to make a little bit of money. Uh, so yeah, I think the, I think the age range is, is pretty vast, but I wouldn't speculate as to why, right? Uh, for me, it was timing. It was the opportunity and the timing. Um, everyone's got their own reasons. You know, I, I made excuses for 11 years before I actually made the move uh, from when I, when I found out about it and signed up. Um, so when it's right for you, it's right for you. So I wouldn't say that age is necessarily a factor, but it's, you know, it, it could be. I don't know. I just, I just don't, again, I, for me, I just don't see why people would talk about it for so long, be that prominent in the Liberty Spotlight, um, having known about the project for, you know, decades now and still, you know, choose not to, to, to do something about it, I guess. Right. Cause if, you, if you're a celebritarian, that's what they call them. Right. And you move here and you're here long enough to qualify for office. Right. Then, you know, if you're a principled member of the party, um, might have a shot at some local office if that's your thing. Are there if some the, elected in local offices? Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
there's a uh, I, I don't I couldn't give you this, the stats on how many, um, but that's what they tell me, right? Like I I know them because I've met them in person, and I know that they're they're elected to some office or one thing or the other. Uh, but they go like, oh, you you know, here even anarchists get elected to office. And I was like, well, you're gonna have to point that one out to me because I'm not I'm not really buying into that. Um, to me, that's like the either it's the, either the no Scotsman's fallacy or an absolute truth. I don't believe an anarchist would run for office, uh, aside from, uh, like no, Mr. Nobody, aside from a, uh, satire campaign or, uh, or activist campaign, uh, with no expectation of victory, but more so to do so, um, as a protest. Like that to me, that's the yeah. only that's the only way an anarchist legitimately runs for office. Uh, but they, but, there, but they tell me we have some elected here. There, there's even been cases of uh, dogs winning elections, um, so or a cat, you know. So, um, so an it, anarchist could it, get into office. Then. Yeah, yeah, could get into office and then do as just as much as the dog or cat, right? Sure. Yeah. Or or even repeal uh, regulations. So. Uh, there, there could be things that they do uh, that are still in alignment uh, and could yeah. could have good outcomes. Introduce bills. Um, there's an there's a organization here, a nonprofit organization that reviews the bills that come through and rates them on a on a liberty scale, um, and then you know gives their recommendation on how the liberty minded members of the, of the house should vote for it. Um, at the end of the year, whoever, you know, voted most appropriately gets an award for being the most, you know, for being the Liberty candidate or the Liberty representative of the year, whatever. So yeah, there, you know, they, there's people doing that as well. Um, even a good friend of mine, or I was like, all right, dude, Saturday night, fuck video games. Let's come over. He's like, oh no, I'm, I'm doing the, the, the volunteer work for the, the New Hampshire Liberty Alliance, which is the people that read the bills. I go, all right, do your thing. Probably more important, you know playing more wave race with me but whatever you know so but i guess my point is that they're they're there they're doing something um what i would like to go ahead are the are the socialists also making a haven out of that area in other words when i think of the northeast i think of uh bernie sanders and elizabeth warren and and a whole cadre of of uh socialists up in the in the region are they doing similar things or is there a lot of interaction and and and, and con, uh, confrontation or something with different groups or is new hampshire how how do they how does the general population respond to the liberty caucus um i don't have a good answer for that i i don't go to vermont and i don't go to massachusetts for those very reasons um i know uh, nobody again was on the radio uh, yesterday with a from a show that comes out of boston um uh, and, you know, he said, well, if, if I get elected, you know, you guys know where to get your vape supplies uh, because they they banned vaping in Massachusetts. So mm-hmm. so those people are going to have to cross the border to get their vape supplies from New Hampshire. And he's like, you know, I'll give you I'll make sure that there's some reciprocity. You guys get your vape supplies from us and we'll get our legal weed from you uh, because, <laughs> you know, the governor, the governor, the incumbent governor here is still making legalization more difficult than it needs to be on that issue. Um I know the folks out in Keene. Keene is a very left-leaning area, um, so they're they're at odds with the local politicians on the regular basis. Um, I haven't been here long enough to really involve myself in that, um, so I don't I can't comment m- too much further than that. But if they're coming in, right, they're not wanted 
number one, and even better reason to have a bunch of liberty-minded individuals here uh, to combat that, to slow that down as much as possible until reinforcement movers get here um, to really stem the tides. Now, where I disagree with uh, my, my compatriots here is I go, I don't really care if they come in and pass a law, right? Because the appropriate response to passing a bad law is to break it, right? <laughs> just, just break it. They try to enforce it. And then you break it and then they try and eventually if, if only one person breaks it, they will pick us off one by one. But if we all break it in mass in their face, there's not much they can do. Right. You know, it, it's going to be a living hell to have all of us libertarians arrested and thrown in jail. And guess what? Even if that happens, we'll still be all together and we can plot our escape right under their noses. Because they they, can, they they can't contain us all, and there's only so many. Um, uh, what was that? It's a singular cell, solitary. There's only so, only so many solitary confinement cells to put us all in. So either either we all in jail and we take over that some bitch, or they leave us all alone. And I didn't need to vote, and I didn't need to pass a law, and I didn't need to elect anybody to get that done. All right, sounds like fun. Um, I think we're running out of time. Yeah, we're right up against the clock. We got final thoughts, or we can end a little bit early. One final thought I'd like to leave with is that uh, something hot in the news is the big fires uh, and the shutdown by Pacific Gas and Electric in California. Um, an excellent article that I'd be glad to post to you is one that um, Mark Beecham wrote about in the Freedom Fest uh, website, talking about how the, the cause of all of this trouble is the government monopoly. It hasn't uh, changed in 100 years. Uh, they're as antiquated and unresponsive as could possibly imagine if they broke up the monopoly and allowed competition, free, independent competition in a variety of ways, and holding people personally liable for their actions. They'd have uh, the problems of electricity solved uh, and fire firefighting um, uh, greatly diminished uh, in in that state, I think. And there's right. a lot of a lot of places with competitive electric uh, utility companies that ought to be examined. All right, yeah, send that send that to me, Ken, and I will I will post that in the show notes. Um, I also just invited you to the Anarchist Experience group on Facebook, um, which if there's certain things that you want to talk about or that you want us to cover in future shows, whether you're on or not, uh, just throw it in there because that's where that's where I put all the articles that I have available. Um, so it's all uh, con condensed into one spot and I can look through them and read through them very easily. Um, but yeah, but send me the link anyway and I'll, I'll get that one in this show. Final thoughts great, from UMC? Great. All right. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. That'll wrap it up for us. You know where to find us, anarchistexperience.com. And despite what I just said about the Facebook group, uh, find us on minds.com slash the anarchist experience, uh, because at some point, Facebook is going to go the way of the dodo. Um, and so we have a presence just about everywhere else, including minds. And if you'd like to contribute to the show financially, uh, do that through Patreon, patreon.com slash the anarchist experience. Thank you very much for listening. And we'll talk to you all next week. Peace. Aloha. <laughs>